Hi, everyone. Just a note. This podcast was recorded during the time that we were all sheltering in place due to the pandemic and prior to current world events. Welcome to The Awardist, the podcast from Entertainment Weekly that takes you inside this year's Emmy race with interviews, analysis, and more. I am Sarah Rodman, executive editor of Entertainment Weekly, covering all things TV and music. And I'm Kristen Baldwin, TV critic at Entertainment Weekly, covering all things TV and Bachelor. (laughs) Very important beats Kristen (laughs) is covering. We welcome you all into our living room to talk about Emmys and TV and all kinds of other stuff. And Kristen, first question, what have you been re-watching during this time that we are currently experiencing? I often re-watch Gilmore Girls just for fun. I also uh, enjoy, it's not really re-watching, um, but right now I'm also watching Getting Deep Into Teen Mom OG, new season, love it. <laughs> On brand. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Occasionally I will turn to Lifetime Movie Network and just watch Killed by the Babysitter or whatever. <laughs> it's just some nice light fare. Exactly. Uh, I have been watching, like so many, I'm, I feel predictable and lame. I have been rewatching Buffy from the beginning. Oh, nice. As many of my peers have. And spoiler alert for today's interview, I have been rewatching Cheers. But I will say I had started rewatching Cheers before I knew that we would be talking to Ted Danson. That's right for this podcast, because today we are going to be talking about the outstanding comedy series category. And one of the things that we're going to be doing is talking to Ted Danson because of I his mean, role on The Good Place. I like to refer to him as national treasure, Ted Danson. I do think that uh, he is one of the most likable TV stars of all time and certainly one that it's great to see him have yet another show that people love to see him in with The Good Place. I believe that he also likes to refer to himself as National Treasure Ted Danson. So you align there. I am in complete agreement with you. Before we jump into the discussion of Outstanding Comedy Series, we are going to engage in a little friendly trivia battle. Our podcast producer extraordinaire, Noah Eberhardt, will be coming in as the quiz master today to see which one of us, Kristen or I, knows more about the outstanding comedy category? Noah, over to you. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Kristen. Hello. Uh, let's dive into some trivia, right? What are the only two animated series to be nominated in the outstanding comedy series category? So my guesses are going to be The Simpsons and Family Guy. All right. My Kristen, guesses, are guesses are The Simpsons and King of the Hill. Oh, that's a good guess. Oh, some good guesses. The answer is The Flintstones and Family Guy. So Sarah, <laughs> half right. <laughs> so it was still like a family comedy, though. Yeah, so, Flintstones. So but I think technically, though, I'm the only one that got one right there. Yeah, you got yeah, half a point. Half a okay, point. this is okay, how it's going to be. I'm just warning you. Did, did we I'm mention Sarah's down. competitive? <laughs> <laughs> These are the All things right. that matter in life. Uh, the next question, uh, Fox shows have... Only won this award twice. Uh, which shows have won? Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thinking. Thinking. Arrested Development and Malcolm in the Middle. I know Arrested Development won, so I kn- that's what I know. And I'm going to guess Allie McBeal? That is correct. Allie McBeal oh, and Arrested bastards. Development. That's right. They <laughs> submitted that as a comedy. Play. Remember when... They thought that was funny. Oh, oh. good times. <laughs> All right. So it's right. one and a half to half. Yes. Right. 
<laughs> what was the first year the uh, category was introduced? Or the so this year is the 72nd awards. So if you subtract 72... <laughs> Harry but won. I don't think it was in the first year, right? So Right. It was I'm not gonna say in the so first if the first year. one was nineteen forty eight, I'm gonna say it was the third year in nineteen fifty. And that's just a total guess. I have no idea. I'm gonna go a little later, say nineteen fifty eight. Oh, all right. You're going ten years later. All right. It's nineteen fifty two. Oh, so, one dollar style. Yes. Just without going over. <laughs> All right, and that concludes that concludes trivia. I won. You won, but like it was that last one. Oh no, I didn't really win. I didn't win that last one. No, I know, but you still won. All right, fine. All right, but that's just this week. Who knows? It could be anybody. It could be anybody's game going forward. So we want to look at last year before we look at this year, because we must look at our history or we are doomed to repeat it, except at the Emmys, that is what they do. We're often doomed to repeat it, yes. But in this case, we aren't doomed to repeat it because last year's winner was Fleabag. So that is Mm -hmm. a show that is no longer eligible. And its competition was the HBO series Barry, the Netflix show Russian Doll, the pop series Schitt's Creek, the NBC show The Good Place, Amazon's The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, and HBO's Veep. So... A couple of those shows are out of the running. Fleabag right. is no longer eligible. And is Veep technically still eligible? No, that was its last season. And that was the thing. It was, I really thought it was going to win it last year because final season. Right. But Fleabag was just a, a behemoth, a, a phenomenon that could be could not be stopped. But so now, speaking of final seasons, when we look at this year, mm. I mean, we're going to be, we're going to have a couple shows that have a, that are on their final season that are in the running, and sometimes voters get sentimental about that. The other thing to note is Russian Doll has not yet had season two, so that's another one that won't be. Yes, Schitt's Creek is it's this is the final season that's in now, so technically it will still be eligible. Right. Good Place just aired, so it will be eligible. Yeah. Maisel, I feel like it could air at any time of the year, and it would be eligible. Yes, apparently. it would win anyway. Um, so a lot of these guys are still possible. So for our listeners out there who don't just happen to know the eligibility window off the top of their head, it is June 1st, 2019 to May 31st, 2020. So there are a lot of other potential shows possible. So, I mean, of that group, if we want to break it down between front runners, people that we think might be possible, and then just people that we would love to see, it seems to me that Good Place, Schitt's Creek, and Maisel are for sure, right? Yes. And the other thing I would throw in as a big possibility is season two of Kaminsky Method. Because the voters love the old people. The voters love Michael Douglas. They love Alan Arkin. Uh, This is a show that's gotten a lot of Golden Globe love as well at the beginning of the year. So I think season two is a pretty solid front runner uh, to get a nomination in this category as well. And I think that in terms of things that are possible, like we were just talking about, Modern Family was nominated. Yes almost every single year for the first six or seven years, then it fell off. And this was its final season. Some people say that, you know, they stuck the landing. And so will we see Modern Family more back into the race? I think it might just because, you know, we do have sort of three, uh, two or three openings in this this category now, you know, that shows that it's not competing against. So I think you could get 
Modern Family in there. I think uh, we could see Raimi from Hulu in there mm-hmm. as well because that won a Golden Globe and he's an up and comer and people really like that show. Um, and it is really good, y'all. If you are not watching Raimi on Hulu yet, definitely check that one out. Yeah, it is really good. I'd love to see better things. I, yeah, I feel like so it well, has a shot. I feel like Better Things has a shot, too. And in terms of possibles, I actually think that from the new shows, Space Force might have a shot just because of how starry it is. Yeah, Steve Carell and John Malkovich and Lisa Kudrow, a lot of people. And Curb, is Curb possible this year because they just did a season? So I feel like that's something that could make a resurgence. Yeah, I think Curb, they love, voters love Curb, even though these last few seasons have not really been burning up the the sort of critical accolades. That's not an expression, but you know what I mean. Larry David's a perennial favorite. The other one I would throw in there as a possible, um, just because people love Merritt Weaver and people have enjoyed this show, even though not really my taste is run on mm-hmm. HBO with Donnell Gleason and Merritt Weaver. And people, I mean, understandably, justifiably love Merritt Weaver and and voting bodies have proven proven that they love her as well, which is great. So we move on to our wish list. And the top of my wish list is Brooklyn Nine-Nine because it's always (gasps) at the top of my wish list. But particularly this season, it it has not been perfect. Nothing is as far along as a show like this is. But it has been so heartwarming and lovely and enjoyable. And I love that family. And then I would add in Mixed-ish, which I actually think is now superior to Black-ish. High Fidelity, which isn't really a comedy, but it's a half hour. So this is where it would go. Right. And Aquafina is Dora from Queens. Cracked me up, y'all. I love that show. It's not perfect and it's kind of goofy and it's not really an Emmy kind of show, but it's very funny. Yeah. What's on your wish list, Kristen? I've got two. One is Little America, which is this yeah. anthology on Apple TV Plus. And it's, you know, it's it's more heartwarming. Some of the stories are have funny moments but are more serious but you know they are submitting it as a comedy because a lot of you know they're half hour episodes there's a lot of humor in it Kumail Nanjiani is an exec producer so I think they you know they're putting it in comedy and it definitely has some really funny episodes if you have Apple TV plus I would say check it out if you haven't it's a really diverse set of storytelling and really great casting and it will make you feel good and in these times who does not need to feel good. The other one I would add, um, which I absolutely loved, uh, is Never Have I Ever on Netflix, which is exactly produced by Mindy Kaling. And it has an incredible cast of mostly unknowns with the exception of uh, the parents, but they're great. And it's uh, sort of this very funny story of a uh, Indian American girl who's trying to have a sexy high school year, you know, but she's also dealing with her dad's death and being, you know, juggling the cultures that she lives in. Um, John McEnroe narrates and he's so incredible. Funny. So funny. Incredible. It's just, I loved it. I burned right through it. It's a great show. I really hope uh, that that gets some awards love. I do too. I had no expectations about that show, but I just fell in love instantaneously with not just the lead, but the two girls that play her oh, best friends so good. Yeah. are like so adorable. And it feels like high school and all the sort of awkward terribleness mm-hmm. that is also funny. Um, so yes, never have I ever. I agree. Check it out. We think that you should watch it. All right. Uh, it is going to be clearly a competitive race for outstanding comedy, but these are our thoughts. So we're hopeful that some of the stuff from our wish list will make it on there. Up next, we have my interview with Ted Danson. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I have been binging Cheers again. 
It's the first time that I had watched it since high school, really, when it was on. And I had started watching it before we knew that we were talking to Ted for this, so I was really excited. If you have not watched The Good Place finale, this is your spoiler alert. We talk about it a lot. Uh, We talked a little bit about what we both think happens when you die. Uh, The beautiful Redwood Forest, where they shot some of the finale. And a little bit about Ted's career in general, if you enjoy Ted dancing. I very much hope you enjoy this. Thank you so much for being here and doing this. Yeah, you're more than welcome. I have already spoken with Darcy and uh, Manny, and they say hello and they love you. (laughs) Well, I love them too, very much. And uh, Darcy was so great yesterday. We've been talking a lot about... Um, you know, the most recent season and the finale. And I've been saying, this has been my favorite show for the last four years. I've taken it so into my heart. I truly love it. And so I'm curious, since obviously it is close to your heart as well, when you saw what Mike had envisioned for what the end is, that we return to the ether as sparkly particles that guide people to do good, is that what you had ever envisioned the end might be like? Had you envisioned it? You know, I don't know. I mean, I love the visualization of transferring that afterlife wisdom that is a, you know, has been accumulated over many Jeremy Baramies. Um, <laughs> I love that idea that that is what our kind of job is. I, lo- I love that thought. I really do. And I, uh, I won't get too personal with my belief systems, but if I had to pick the way the universe works, I... <laughs> I'd give Mike real high scores. Well, I'm sort of hoping that that is how the universe works. Mike is just not telling us that he's secretly in charge. (laughs) A lot of friends wrote afterward and said, boy, I sure hope that's how it works. (laughs) Absolutely. So to me, you guys had the biggest evolutionary arcs on the show. The humans, obviously, Team Cockroach had to change, had to be better. But you all went from a demon and to a virtual assistant to completely different places. Michael became human, which I can't imagine in that first season after that sinister laugh in the finale, which is still my favorite thing about the show, that this is where Michael would have ended up, not only being human, but being excited to be human. I know. It was just magnificent. I mean, I think the first um, beat that first year was kind of the hardest in a way to play because I had one note really to play. I was, you know, this very silly, panicky architect who saw his vision falling apart, but he had no private life. You never knew anything really about him because if you were to go backstage, he would have been twirling his demon mustache. So you couldn't do that. And I was, I kind of found it hard to try to find how to be funny because funny usually happens when you know something and I know something that the other person doesn't know, you know, but oh my gosh, it paid off that, uh, that twist, the turn um, at the end of season one really worked. And I think was probably wonderfully surprising and satisfying in that that secret was kept from the audience. And I don't mean, by the actors, because I failed miserably. Yes, I heard you were clever about it. (laughs) (laughs) But they all kept the secret, though. It didn't get out, even though you were leaking. I know, because I panicked and called them back and said, don't you dare. (laughs) 
You know, when you hear when you hear people say, oh, it's a secret, the final thing is a secret, and they keep the script, it always sounds so silly. You know, it's like, oh, come on. But in this case, I'll have to say it would have it would have ruined things to have, you know, had people know what the twist was. Absolutely. The next year was delightful playing the the behind the scene Wizard of Oz. And by the end of that season, instead of resting on that kind of storyline, immediately he saw which way the wind was blowing and decided to join forces kind of out of self, not kind of, out of self-preservation. So uh, he joined forces and ended up falling in love with humanity. It's pretty cool. One last thing. I agree wholeheartedly. I thought the ending was just so satisfying. I mean, it was, it was amazing for us actors to know that from the beginning of that season, we knew we were saying goodbye. We knew where we were headed story-wise, and we, we were able to kind of cherish as actors that time together in the same kind of way that the characters got to cherish the other characters, you know, in the stories. So it was, it was really amazing time. And it played out so beautifully. And I want to ask you a little bit about that time in the Redwoods, because gosh, what a setting. <laughs> oh, it was just astounding. That was a privately owned reserve. And it was, I can't remember how many hundreds of acres that the family was still trying to hold on to. But I mean, it was just spectacular. You know, the circle of Redwoods, that is, I, I didn't know this. I mean, it's common knowledge, but that is how Redwoods, and I guess maybe some other trees, but Redwoods do it. One of the trees, when they're little seedlings, will take off and grow and get more sunlight and whatever, and it will grow taller and taller and taller. And the other trees that are starting to grow can't because the sunlight's being stolen by mm -hmm. the big, huge center one. And then the center one dies, and it leaves this circle where it was and where the shade was and nothing grew, it dies. And then you have this perfect circle of, I don't know about perfect, but circle of redwoods. And this is common. This is, you know, you saw these little circles all over the place, redwoods. Well, they create their own families. Like family. I think that's such a beautiful thing. And it was the perfect setting for the ending of this and for everyone passing over. But I have to say, one of my favorite sequences during the end was when you were trying to go through and you did a little skip and then you ran to one side <laughs> and then peeked back out and be like, go away, it's not working. And then you tried a piggyback situation. And I'm curious how much of each one of those things was improvised. Like how many of those types of things did you do going through the little archway? I probably did about six or seven, and it was probably Mike's uh, versions that made the cut because <laughs> he's so smart. Because he's so smart, I, I keep going back to kind of the uh, the fact that as a cast we were saying goodbye. That was my last day of shooting. The, the emotion of saying goodbye and the emotion of the characters uh, saying it's time was just this amazing. It kind of caught up with us. The, our, our personal emotions of having to say goodbye to the show caught up just in time for the characters to, to realize they were going to have to let go of each other. Pretty so cool. It was perfect. It was full circle for the cast and the characters. And go ahead. Just at this particular time, all the first responders who you know, are dealing directly with life and death and trauma, and you know, there's no comparison to what they all are doing. But we all are 
having to confront, oh, <laughs> you know, the rumor of mortality might be real here. Yes. Having shot and finished and watched The Good Place and the ending somehow really actually was kind of comforting to me. Oh, well, I think that you will hear from people as well that it has been comforting to them. I started to rewatch from the beginning. That's part of my comfort food TV menu right now that is bringing me solace in this very strange time. And I can't imagine that I am not allowed that a lot of people are doing that. Do you think the show helped you be a better person or at least become more aware of the world around you? Not to imply that you're a bad person before, <laughs> but that like it made you more aware. We're all kind of full of poop. You know, we're human. We have, you know, we have anger, spite, all the villainous things of humanity we all have inside of ourselves. And I, I think this show, I got to kind of amusingly, amusingly look at my shortcomings, but it was all kind of in the uh, spirit of the good place and interviews and, you know, isn't that charming? Ted realizes what a hypocrite he is. The celebrity tip with the barista who I'd make sure I left a $50 tip, but, uh, I would wait and put it in the jar until the barista would see that I was this amazing celebrity. Right. Tipper, you know, which is a karmic wash. You know, I'm full of shit. But <laughs> so anyway, that's that's kind we of the ha ha. By the way, we're not not just celebrities. We all do the please notice that I am doing this. Yes. Thing. Yes. And, and uh, but I'll tell you, going from that to this period of time. When you take away all of your trappings, I'm Ted who walks down the street and people recognize me and they smile or laugh or say, hey, you know, we love you or we love Cheers or we love the good place. I'm Ted. I'm Ted Danson. Da, 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 you know, all that, all the trappings. And then you take all the trappings away and you sit by yourself, but, you know, Blessedly, I sit with Mary, you know, so she's seen all of these parts of me, the, the kind of ugly toad part, mm -hmm. uh, the stuff I don't want to acknowledge or really, really look at. But for me to be able to really go, oh, wow, look at this part of you, Ted, you know, maybe you don't need to do that. It was just kind of an amazing time. And I know, I know we're talking in a world where to have thoughts like that is a luxury because I'm, you know, I'm eating and staying in place and I have, you know, the love of my life, Mary, with me and we get to spend time together. So, and most people can't. A lot of people are out there working and putting their life in jeopardy. So I, I know that. Um, and I think the overall message that Mike, I mean, it was so smart. You know, we had ethics professors on speed dial. The writer's <laughs> room did. I mean, it was, it was just amazing how thoughtful and researched it was. I think Mike said this in the show. Just try to be a little bit better every day. <laughs> try to be a little better every day. That's, that's your job. Exactly. And it's something to hold. That's hopeful now, too, especially right now. I want to yeah. give it to your castmates because in talking to them over the years and for this podcast specifically, it keeps coming up how wonderful you are. And I wonder what it's like to live in a place of people thinking you're wonderful. Does that ever actually get tired? <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. Uh, sadly, um, it's misleading. It's not tiresome. But it is misleading, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> 
But I'll tell you something, because I love them equally as much. Um, and listen, you know, if you're the tall guy who's been around for a long time, and it's a mantle that gets thrown on you. I do love going to work. I love actors. Um, I loved those actors particularly because of the journey we were on and because of who they are. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to push back just a teeny tiny bit, though, because you have a habit. We have talked in the past and you have a habit of saying things like that. If you're the tall guy that hangs around for a long time, this is a mantle that's thrown on you. And I've been talking about this recently with people because the other thing I've been watching is Cheers. I've been rewatching Cheers. And I said this to Kristen when Veronica Mars came back as well. Veronica Mars was one of my favorite characters in television of all time. It was really important to me. Sam alone was really important to me. But the fact that Eleanor Shellstrop and Michael Realman <laughs> are actually completely divorced from Veronica Mars and from May Day is remarkable. It really is. And I know that may sound like too much praise, but it's true. You created this indelible thing that I'm sure at the time you thought, oh God, this is all I'm going to do for the rest of my life because I've been on the successful sitcom and that is what happens. But then Damages and CSI and Fargo and Three Minute Baby and all of these other things happen in between where you are in fact very different in all of these things. That I did not think about Sam alone until the moment Michael had you behind the bar and throwing a towel over your shoulder is impressive. And so I'm curious, what, did, what is difference between 1985 and 2020 Todd Danson in terms of acting, that that is a possibility for you? And you cannot just say, I've been around a long time and that is what happens. <laughs> no, 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 that's fun. I mean, I'll tell you what does happen. Uh, I, I, I will take it back to myself, I promise. Uh, and it's all false humility, by the way. This is one of those barista moments. <laughs> I'm loving this. One thing is writers and writing. And I'm, I've been lucky to be around amazing writing. I mean, Cheers. Cheers, which I, I would, if all I had ever done in Cheers, I would be the, in the world, would be, I'd be the luckiest person because it was truly uh, magnificent. You know, we, we really had kind of the Rolls Royce of entering into this uh, community of funny people. I am talking to you because of Cheers, because of 11 years of Cheers. I mean, so I am forever grateful. But, I mean, in the beginning, you, you know, you, you study and you technique and all of that stuff. But soon you start to notice it with really good words, really good thoughtful writing. It's almost like... Uh, musical notes, if you just play them over and over again, you know, say the lines over and over, let it wash over you. All of a sudden, these amazing words are taking you someplace you could, I feel like you couldn't imagine going by yourself. I just let the words play over me. And if the writing is astounding, then I get to be part of that astounding. As long as you can just stay out of the way, you know, let your ego out of, get your ego out of there. And don't let your ambition be what the audience sees. Let them see the character. Let That's them, great advice. Yeah. Don't let your ambition outstrip your yeah, craft, yeah. basically. And, and that's a fight. That's a struggle. That's not a, you walk in the door and it's there every day. On film, you're either there in that moment or you're not. And if you're not, the camera sees it, you may... The audience may go, oh, that was nice. But if you're truly there in the moment and you're surprising yourself and you get lost in this moment, then it becomes magical. 
And that to me is like a struggle. That's a 50-50 on a good day that you're going to land on one of those. I think that is excellent advice. And I have a very specific acting question for you now. In the, the montage of Michael's life on earth, there is a moment in which you pull something out of the microwave and it is so hot and you, so you buggle, you <laughs> buggle, you buggle, and then you drop it and you have this wonderful laugh. Was that thing actually hot? Uh, no. It was acting. <laughs> it was acting. That was me pretending. <laughs> but this is what I'm saying, all these little details. And I just, I mean, I just wonder, I think about people with careers like yours, if you ever sit back and think, gosh, you know, this, I was so lucky, which you talked a little bit about in terms of cheers and the writing and the producing and obviously, but after that, do you make your own luck? I think you make your own luck by loving what you do. I get as excited driving through the gates now at Universal and I turn right on Jimmy Stewart Avenue, you know, and I am so excited to be part of that community, you know. How would you feel if 20 years, well, let's make it 50 years from now, somebody was driving down Ted Danson Way on that same lot and they were as excited. I probably won't give a shit, will I? <laughs> I mean, you'll be dead, but like conceptually yeah. speaking. Hey, maybe if they name it, maybe if they- <laughs> You're like, I want it now. <laughs> hey, no, here's the, here's the problem with acknowledgement. I love acknowledgement. and But here's the problem with it. It drives you right into your ego. Mm. You know, you have to work to get your balance back after that. I think that's why people try to duck it. By right. And but you must have, even in your life, had times that you have been humbled when people, you have been places where nobody knows who you are and you go unbothered and maybe even that's kind of a little bit of a bummer, even if you don't want it all the time. Oh, it's family lore. I think back in 1999, uh, we went on this little river uh, down the Amazon for like eight or nine days and literally we're only surrounded by riverenos, people who lived maybe saw one boat a year of people that didn't look like them. So clearly no one recognized me or, you know, gave a shit. And Mary accuses me of starting to get a little faint and a little dizzy. And (laughs) I couldn't understand why I, I I think I'm getting sick. No, you're not. Withdrawal. Withdrawal. Yeah. When you walk down the street, it must be wildly, you know, little kids probably love the good place. Old guys love cheers. Like you just get a wide range of what you are being recognized for. Yes. Walking through an airport is kind of like your own TVQ, your own little, (laughs) you know, trying to figure out who watches what, you know, is anyone watching that? Oh, you know, and you, you have your own little different kinds of people. What thrilled me about the airport was uh, the 12-year-old kids in that age range who would come up and were so excited by The Good Place. That just made me feel so happy. Yeah. They have no idea who Sam Malone is. (laughs) Do you think that Michael will get back into The Good Place? Well, I mean, didn't we kind of build in a a comeback, you know, in a few years? Michael gets uh, dies, goes to heaven, but Sean has led a revolution and it's back to the good old days of, you know, torturing people in hell. And he'll have to summon up his, his angelic buddies. <laughs> right. I like that you already have a plan. I like that Mark Evan Jackson yeah, yeah. is part of this plan. Well, I have now kept you for longer than I said I was going to. And 
I just wanted to ask quickly about the the mayor. I don't know that it's called the mayor, but um, about what you are doing next. I will talk about the mayor. Forgive me. But let me give a quick quick shout out to my wife, Mary Steenberg, and and her show, which is providing so much uh, uh, relief and uh, people are loving it. Uh, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, which is a song and dance musical amazing television show on NBC. And she and Peter Gallagher are doing such great work on that show. Juicy parts for actors of a certain age, which is not a common, is not a common occurrence on broadcast network television, that they are being able to play a love story that is so beautiful on that show. Crazy great. Anyway, yeah, back to me. Enough about Mary. Um, (laughs) She, uh, (laughs) she's in the other room. She she can do her own podcast. Um, So, yeah, I'm working with Tina Fey and Robert Carlock. I think it's called Mr. Mayor. It was untitled for a while. And we shot three three and a half episodes and then we're rudely interrupted. Somehow they keep writing. So, you know, uh, we will get back to it. Yeah, I play the mayor of L.A., um, but not Eric Garcetti specifically. A mayor of LA. No, a mayor of LA. Who's a, undetermined you know, yes, time. No, I mean, I only play. I only play silly men. So <laughs> he will have his own silly man quality, uh, a, la, a la Tina Fey and Robert Carlock. But uh, very excited to get back to it. Well, I want to thank you so much for doing this today. Really, really appreciate it. I can't even explain how much solace both The Good Place and Shares are bringing me right now. So thank you also personally and on behalf of, I know the many people that are watching both of those shows right now. And I just have three more words for you, Ted Danson. Take it sleazy. (laughs) I'll, I'll match that with the last line of cheers. I'm the luckiest son of a bitch in the world. You have made my day, my month, my week, my year. Thank you so much. So cool. Much love. I am so sorry I didn't ask any of your burning Becker questions, but it was still such a delight talking to Ted, and I hope you enjoyed it. (laughs) Next week, we will be talking to Succession's Matthew McFadden and discussing some of the amazing drama performances from this year, so you don't want to miss that. Becker, that's a deep cut. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode of The Awardist. And if you like what you hear, give us a rating and subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to join the conversation, tweet at us. I'm at Kristen G. Baldwin, and you can find Sarah at Sarah A. Rodman. The Awardist isn't just a podcast. You can also find us across EW platforms on EW.com, in the magazine, and on social media, too. So if you want to binge more of The Awardist, you know where to find it. Until then, we'll be on the couch. The Awardist is produced by EW in partnership with Pod People.